A lot of faces in here today. Some of you are visiting today, people who I have grown up with, who have known me ever since I was deep and wide. And, um, and then, there's, then this is fifth Sunday, so this is also our family Sunday, and we have our first through fifth graders in here. So love that you're here. Um, we're just going to have some fun today. And, and I have been you know, coming into this with the mindset that this is just as business as usual. Forget about what's coming up later in the, in the service and just pre- preach the word. And then as, as Pete was leading us in worship, I'm finding myself just constantly weeping, which is good. Um, but if I'm a little bit emotional today, I apologize, but I'm not really sorry. Um, <laughs> So if you have a Bible, turn with me, because for those of you who are visiting, we have been working through the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 today. I want to kind of catch you up to speed a little bit. Um, Last week, as we were looking at the first half of Galatians chapter 5, it really boils down to one verse. And it's the first verse that we looked at in Galatians 5, where Paul simply says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. He didn't die on the cross so that we could be enslaved to the law. He didn't die on the cross so that we would go through life looking up with trepidation that we're somehow falling short of God's expectations. What he did on the cross is he set us free from the penalty of sin that separates us from God so that we, like Adam and Eve experienced early on in the Garden of Eden, could walk with him, have intimate uh, relationship with him, be known by him the way he created us to be known by him. But he also set, died to set us free from the law, that it would no longer be the thing that constricts us and directs us. Of course, freedom is one of those things that's a little tricky, isn't it? Because sometimes, especially when you've been raised in captivity, you don't know how to be free. You don't know how to live or care for yourself in freedom. Just a, a quick story. When, when I was a kid... My mom was known as the Dr. Doolittle of our community. So anytime an animal got hurt, whether it was a duck or a turtle was found, um, they would bring it to our home and my mom would begin to nurse the thing back to health. And one of the most unique uh, animals that arrived at our doorstep was a black crow that had fallen out of its nest and hurt its wing. We named him Rommel and he became a part of our family. In fact, I think we have a a picture. Um, So here's our family photo. My dad was not there that day. He is here today, but you'll notice we got the Great Dane on the left, we got our Weimaraner Heidi on the right, and then on my brother Mark's shoulder, right in front of my mom, is our pet crow Rommel. Yes, we named him after a Nazi tank commander, because that seemed fitting. I have no idea why. Um, We intended to just nurse him back to health, but we loved having Rommel in our house, and so he lived in my room in this big black wrought iron cage in in the corner. And at first, he was very quiet and sedate, and then as he grew up and became more of an adolescent, he became just like one of my kids, like bouncing off the walls. We would let him out of his cage, and he would start flying around the room, jumping off walls as if he was Ethan with too much sugar, right, bud? <laughs> just, just, he was an adolescent. He wanted to play, and it became very evident to us, even though he was a part of our family. My mom would even paint his, his talons so that people would know he was a domesticated crow. Um... <laughs> He wouldn't be confused for one of those regular crows that don't have time to get their nails done. (laughs) Even though he was a part of our family and we loved having him, we realized that we were doing him a disservice. For a time, the cage and and the regular feedings and the TLC were loving. But Rommel was not created for captivity. He was created to be free. And so after 
some talking about it, we decided we need, to, we need to set him free. It's the most loving thing for him. And so we took Rommel one day, and we took him downstairs to our, our kind of porch. And, and our porch looks over Balearic Park, and so there are, or Balearic School. So there's this big, wide, grassy area out in front. We're like, okay, and we put him down on the railing. We go, Rommel, you're free to go. Rommel didn't get the memo. He just kind of hopped along the, the railing for a while looking at it. And I'm pretty sure he was probably going, it's a big, wide open space. Where are the bars, right? I'm, I'm used to walls. I'm used to roof. I'm used to being encapsulated. And this is not that. And so after watching him bounce around for a little while, we had to finally like push him off of the railing. And he went flying. And he cruised around the park, buzzed it a couple of times, and then beelined right, right back towards the house. Apparently for him, wide open skate spaces were scary. It was unknown, and he was way more comfortable being in his cage. And so if my memory serves me correctly, and mom, if I'm wrong, then forget it, because the story's better this way. Um, <laughs> it ended up taking us three or four days of acclimating Rommel to freedom before he finally stayed free. He kept, he would, we would take him out, he would buzz the park a few times, beeline back, we'd put him back in his cage, he went back to having his regular food and, and, and being part of the family. But eventually... He became a little more comfortable with it, and he stayed out. And we knew he was okay. We knew he made the transition because every once in a while he would bring us a present of a, a tree branch or a dead mouse or something on the doorstep to just to let us know, hey, I'm, I'm doing okay. Freedom can be scary when all you know is captivity because freedom means that some of the things that we have grown used to, some of the things that may have been impinging on our life, like bars, like walls, like religion and, and rules and ritual. Those things can get in the way of following our God. And so it's difficult. Sometimes people will even say it's not even loving to simply cut somebody free because then what happens, right? So that's, that's exactly the problem that the Jewish Christians who believed that Jesus Christ was their long-awaited Messiah we're having with Paul's gospel. Because Paul was preaching a gospel that said that the law is outdated. That the law no longer holds sway over Christ followers. That Jesus died not merely to remove the penalty of our sin from us, but he died to remove the yoke of the law from our shoulders so we could be free. And they said, Paul, what do you mean by freedom? If by freedom you mean that sin no longer has the ability to separate us from our God, we can get behind that. But if by freedom you're suggesting that the law no longer is our guiding light, it is no longer the um, Thomas guide that we use to navigate life, then we are absolutely standing against what you are suggesting. <clears throat> because how is it loving to simply say to somebody who has been raised in the church, you're free, you don't, you, all of the things that you've used to protect yourself from stumbling, are no, are no longer valid. We, we're, you're just going to suggest we let people go and they live any way that they want? What's going to keep them from stumbling off of a cliff into moral depravity? Paul, are you suggesting we just let people go without a map and a moral compass? And Paul, would, Paul then... in chapter 5, particularly in the, in the second half of chapter 5, recognizing that that might be an interpretation that they might have, that freedom equals abandonment. 
he addresses what he means by freedom. So we're going to begin in verse 13. A couple of these verses are things that we touched on last week, but we're going to take them as a running jump into where we're headed this week. So Paul says, You, my brothers and my sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil or as, as freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, all of the rules, all of that Thomas guide of directives, all 613 laws found in the Old Testament, all of that is fulfilled if you keep just one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we go, wait, wait a minute. Jesus had two. Paul, why do you only have one? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything, your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How are you boiling it down to just one? Well, remember, if we go back to what we looked at last week, in verse 6, Paul says, listen guys, the only thing that counts is our faith in Jesus Christ working itself out in love, right? So our love, loving our neighbor, is founded upon our love for God. So he in no way is suggesting we just can forget about loving God, just love our neighbor. He's saying you can't love your neighbor without loving God first. It's a foregone conclusion. So you want to fulfill the law? Love your neighbor. However, if you bite and devour each other, watch out. Or you're going to be destroyed by one another. Apparently what was going on in the, in the Galatian churches is there was a lot of infighting. There was a lot of bickering. There was a lot of divisiveness. Some people were saying, I follow Paul. I'm all about freedom. Others were saying, no, I follow these, these Jewish Christians who know what they're talking about. We've got to get circumcised. We've got to follow the law. And the church began to fracture. Thankfully, that kind of stuff never happens anymore. Sadly, it does. And Paul is saying, listen, you are free. But your freedom is in no way a license to sin. In no way is it a license to do anything that you want. Rather, your freedom is a license to follow God, be in relationship with him, and a license to love the people that he brings into proximity to you. Period. Paul would also then go on to say, listen, I am not, God is not abandoning you. That's not what freedom is to him. When he says, you're free, that does, it's not like saying, be free, little bird. Good luck out there. Rather, we're free to walk with him. And he doesn't leave us without a moral compass. However, he gives us an upgrade. How many of you have ever had to find your way somewhere with a map or a Thomas guide? Raise your hand. Okay, good legalists that we are. Today, who here still has a Thomas guide in your car that you have used? Wow, impressive. You guys are mixing your... No, I'm just joking. But, but the Thomas guide is like the law, right? Back in the day, you had to open that thing up and you had to find where you were and then you had to find where you were going and you try to figure out how to get there. And if you passed it, the Thomas guide doesn't update your new route. You're just out of luck. Today, we don't have Thomas guides because we have maps in our pocket. We have, we have navigational systems in our dashboard that literally tell us turn by turn. And if the, if the traffic is bad, it updates, something your Thomas guide could never do. If you miss your turnoff, it doesn't yell at you. It simply updates the route, reroutes you, and gets you there the very quickest way. Right? 
And so we understand we don't need a Thomas guide anymore because I've got map in my pocket. I've got GPS. And Paul's saying in the same way, you don't need the law anymore because I'm giving you my spirit. The same spirit that lived in Jesus Christ that empowered him from the first day of his public ministry throughout his, his entire ministry and then in, through his resurrection. That same spirit that healed lepers, gave sight to the blind, turned water into wine, enabled him to know it was in a person's heart, em- encouraged him to the point that when people who said they were his followers walked away from him, he didn't feel the need to chase them because he wasn't defined by their approval. That same spirit lives in you and me and empowers us. Now, some of you might be going, well, that's great, but the Holy Spirit really only guides like the super elite Christian, right? There's a, there are the in-crowd, the, the people who get the upgraded version of Christianity, and then there's the rest of us. And so the Holy Spirit may speak to priests or pastors or people who, you know, make it to church on time um, or whatever, <laughs> If you, memor- if you have read Leviticus at any point in your life, then the Holy Spirit's given to you. But until such a time, no, we're just like the rest. And I would say that's absolutely categorically untrue. Every single one of us who have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit given to us. And experiencing the Holy Spirit is part of the re- regular fabric of our lives. Can we throw the John Stott, uh, or I'm sorry, the Tozer quote up here? This is what A.W. Tozer, somebody far smarter than I, said about what it means to live a Christ-following life. He says, The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's not like your special forces, therefore you get this extra equipment. It is part and parcel of the total, complete plan of God for His people. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Him as not only the Savior of your life, but as your Lord, then congratulations. You've got the Holy Spirit. You don't need the law. You've got the Spirit. And so Paul continues now in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, it's an interesting word there, walk. It's one that we're familiar with, but it's important for us in this, every once in a while we'll lean into a word. I want to lean into this particular one. The word walk here in Greek, oh, where is it? It's somewhere around here. Ah, there it is. Peripateo is the word in Greek. Now you guys can all go home and post about it on your Facebook page. Everybody will think you're important, right? Excited? Peripateo means to walk alongside somebody or to follow them. It is, it is implied within that term means to follow someone and learn from them. So the students of Aristotle, who was a Greek philosopher, were known as the peripatetics because they literally followed him everywhere he went, they listened to everything he said. They, they emulated everything he did. We would call that person a disciple, a follower. And remember, what did Jesus say? His invitation was never pray this prayer. His invitation was follow me. In other words, walk with me. And for a time, his disciples did that. And when he recognized that his crucifixion was coming up and that he was going to go be with the Father, he said, don't worry. I will give you another travel companion. The Holy Spirit, the same one that's walked with me and guided me, will be in you. When you think about walking, it's not something that comes naturally, immediately. When we come out of the womb, we haven't got a clue how to walk. 
We, we can barely hold our head up. Well, floppy. And then eventually we learn how to crawl. And then after learning how to crawl, we, we, we take our first, you know, we, we first we learn how to stand. And then we take our first kind of stumbling step. And oftentimes we fall over. And when we're kids, infants, and we keep falling over, do we give up? Do we, thank you, Ethan, do, do we decide, hey, listen, I screwed up. I obviously was not created to walk. I was created to crawl. No, we get back up and we try again. And we learn step by stumbling step how to walk to the point where now you guys no longer think about it, do you? You just do it. And in the same way, Paul is saying, walk in the Spirit. It's not going to be a momentary thing. You're not going to get it immediately. There are going to be times when walking in the Spirit goes, I want to hear what the Spirit has to say and I want to submit to it. And you're going to mistake your own insecurity or peer pressure as the Spirit's voice. And you, go, you make a reaction to something as opposed to responding in obedience. And you fall flat on your face and you go, well, that didn't work. And in that moment, you have a choice. Do you give up? Well, obviously, God didn't create me to have a spirit-filled life where I follow the Holy Spirit. Or do you get back up and you take another stumbling step and do you learn from it? Because that's the invitation that we're given, is to walk with the Spirit. And if we do, if we submit to the Spirit's guidance in our life, then what Paul says is that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Our lives will naturally begin to change. We won't give in to anything that kind of comes to mind. We're not going to keep stumbling over and over again if we're listening to the Holy Spirit. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. This is verse 17. And the Spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Wait a minute, Paul, we're free! We're free! So what do you mean we're not to do whatever we want? That doesn't sound like freedom. No, you're free from the constraints of the law. You're free to follow God. Freed from this in order to do this. It doesn't mean that we don't need a spiritual GPS in our life. We do. We just don't need the old thing because we're free of that. We have now the Holy Spirit to guide us step by step. And by the way, If you try to follow the law, it's going to lead you in a different direction than the Spirit will lead you because they're in conflict with each other. There's this interesting Cherokee um, story, and you probably have heard this before if you've been in church at any point in your life. An old Cherokee brave is sitting with his grandson, and he says, my son, I, um, I have a war that rages within my heart. There are two wolves that fight tooth and nail to control me. One wolf is evil. He's full of hatred and greed. He thinks only of himself. And he's lustful. He holds on to resentment. The other wolf is good. He's full of love. He, gives, he has patience when people don't live up to his expectations. He gives grace. He's... Others focused, not simply self-focused. He's kind and good. And these two wolves battle for control over me. And that, that same war raging within my heart rages within your heart, my son. Rages within every human being's heart. 
in the, in the grandson sits there for a few moments pondering what his grandpa has just said. And then he says, well, which wolf wins? Right? And the grandfather just smiles and says, the one you feed. The one you feed. Paul would probably answer that a different way, right? We have the flesh. And by the way, when we, when we see the word flesh in Scripture, that is not referring just to our bodies. That's referring to our sin nature. A part of our nature that has been present in our lives since the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. When God gave them free will, they had a choice. Do I choose to not eat the fruit and trust God, or am I going to eat it? And a part of their nature led them to grab the fruit. And that sin nature has controlled mankind forever. And it's still within us. And you say, wait, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Why would our sin nature have any control over us if we're new creations? The old is gone, the new has come. Shouldn't that all be gone? And it's true. We are new creations. It's true that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross, but that doesn't mean that we cease to live in a broken, sin-scarred world. Nor does it mean that those parts of our lives that have had so much sway over us, our insecurities and our desire simply for sensual good feelings, that does not simply cease to exist Because of the cross, it no longer has to be in control. He gives us the Holy Spirit to begin battling against that. But until we have our resurrected bodies, that sin nature is still going to be a part of us. It's part of reality in this broken, fallen world. And so we have a choice. Who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow my sin nature and allow it to guide me? Or am I going to follow my flesh? Let's keep reading here. Let's go back to verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit within you to guide you, then you don't need the law. Not because the law didn't set up some good parameters, but because the law will be written on your heart. Because the Holy Spirit will protect you and give you that check in your spirit every once in a while when you're about to step off the cliff and he goes, don't go there. Give that person grace, even though you want to tear that person's head off. Take a breath. Because right now you're being guided by your own insecurities. Just be okay. You're fine. Paul then goes into a a set of lists. He's now going to to kind of describe two lives and characteristics that are produced by following either the flesh, our sin nature, allowing it to be our guide, or following the Holy Spirit and allowing him to be our guide. What will be produced in our life if we go one of two ways? Now, I want to say and preface before I read this, that in no way are these lists exhaustive. In many of his letters, Paul gives lists like this, and no two lists are ever the same. So all that to say, this is simply an example of the fruit that can be produced, not an exhaustive list of all the things. We could add dozens to this. Paul begins by pointing out the kind of things that will manifest themselves in our life, will be evident in our life if we're following the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Some of your Bibles say sensuality there. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, drunkenness and carousing, stuff like that. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, those who follow the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because obviously Jesus Christ is not your Savior and your Lord. But the fruit that is produced in our lives when we follow the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He could add more, dozens more. But this is just an example of the type of fruit that's produced. And against things like that, against fruit like that, there's no law. You don't need the law because it's not like, hey, don't do this, don't do that. No, it's naturally a byproduct. Okay, so let's go back over these lists for just a moment. And I recognize that we've got some young ears in here, so I'm going to be cautious in the way that I present this, but I also want you to understand what's underneath these things, okay? We could break these lists down into three categories. Sexual sins, spiritual sins, and social sins. This is the kind of fruit that is produced in following the flesh. The first one, sexual sins. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, or or, or a desire for sensuality. We could pretty much sum up that entire list with the first word there, sexual immorality. That's how it's translated in our Bibles. But the actual Greek word is porneia, from which we get the term pornography. And far from being a very closed, defined thing, it's not just talking about the act of copulation. It is talking about any and every misuse of our sexuality, which is a good, our our sexuality is a good thing. God gave us to bond two individuals, a man and a woman, in a covenantal relationship for a lifetime. But our sexuality is like electricity. It's a wonderful thing, and if used the way it was designed, it can do great good. But if misused, it can be utterly destructive can kill. It can destroy marriages. So when you read, God bless you, sexual immorality, understand that to mean everything, not just the act of copulation, but everything that could go with it, even the stuff that goes on between your ears. That is wrapped up in that. Now, temptations, temptations are a different thing than acting on and and, and grabbing a hold of those thoughts. But all of that is a fruit of following the flesh. The next one, spiritual sins. He gives two, idolatry and witchcraft. Now, idolatry is something we don't have wooden idols sticking around. But the underlying heartbeat of what idolatry is about is anything that we think that we can worship in order to give us control over an area that we fear. Right? If you lived in Egypt and you feared that the Nile River would dry up because you live in a desert and your only source of water is the Nile River, do you think you're going to worship the Nile River? Or the water? Probably. If you live in a desert and the sun, if it's too hot or it's too cold, will affect your life greatly, do you think you might worship the sun? Sure, which is why Ra was one of the most powerfully worshipped gods in all of Egypt. 
we tend to worship that which we think can give us control over an area that we fear. Which is why in our culture, money is perhaps the single greatest idol that we've got. Because what greater thing can we point to in our culture that we say, if something happens, we don't know what, but if it happens, this can save me. This is my rescue net. And so we can never in our minds have too much. Because who can have too much safety? Who can have too much security? Who can have too many get-out-of-jail-free cards? So idolatry is all about trying to protect ourselves from what we are afraid of and wanting to have some semblance of control. And witchcraft goes along the lines of it. We don't, maybe a few of us in here have dabbled with that area, but it's not something we talk a lot about. But witchcraft, sorcery, whatever, is all about trying to control the spiritual realm. Again, it's a desire to control that which we cannot control. And when we go to things like horoscopes and other stuff like that, Ouija boards and things like that, these are ways that we are somehow trying to tap into an area so that we can control it, so we can protect ourselves. And Paul is saying, listen, if you don't have faith in God and recognize he is God and you are not, then you're going to keep trying to assert yourself over him and control him, either through idolatry or witchcraft or things like that. The third area is social sins. And and, and since Paul is writing to a group of churches that are being literally pulled apart at the seams with dissensions and factions and, oh, he said this, oh, you guys are totally wrong, I follow this person, no, I follow that person. Paul goes, listen, the list is the vast majority of them are all about those social sins, about the pulling apart of the fabric of community. And so he says, hatred discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, wanting to continue to, to, to be better, and, and then you get jealous that somebody else may be there. Dissensions, factions, I'm with this camp, I'm with that camp. And then drunkenness and, and, and carousing just kind of goes to sometimes you just go, forget it, let's just get drunk and mess around because it's all just, ah, forget it. And he's saying, no, all of that is a fruit of following the flesh. He could add dozens more things to that. But those are just some of the things that we could look at. And then he says, but on the contrary, if you follow the Spirit, if you're walking by the Spirit, you're allowing the Spirit to guide your directions, then it's going to produce fruit in your life. Now, fruit is an interesting thing because fruit is not something that you can manufacture. Fruit is not something that you staple onto a tree. Look, fruit tree. Tomato grow on the ground, Eric. Now, you know, Fruit is something that is part of the, it's a natural byproduct of a healthy system. If a tree or a plant is planted firmly in rich, nutritious soil, if those roots are drawing nutrients, if it's getting sunlight and it's being watered regularly, then naturally, in season, it will produce fruit. If it's not, if it's unhealthy, if it's missing one of those important elements, then it's not going to produce fruit. So you can get a good idea about about how well you're kind of following the Spirit by looking at the fruit in your life. And again, I'll just remind us, because it goes back to something we said about walking in the Spirit early on, and that is, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't plant a seed in the ground one day and expect to, to harvest a watermelon the next day. That's not how it works. It takes time, it takes cultivation, it takes patience. And in time, that fruit will be produced. 
And if you're patient, that fruit will ripen to the point where it is nourishing and wonderful. Well, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Things like love. Things like joy. Being peaceful in the midst of a world that is chaotic. Being patient when, when, when your flesh goes, Oh my goodness, tear their head off. They're slowing you down. Don't drive in this lane. Look, if there's more cars in this lane, get in that lane and then get over there. And Kathy right now is nodding her head saying, Can you listen to your own message here? Sometimes I follow the flesh when I'm driving. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When you want to yell at somebody and being, No, I'm going to choose to be kind here. Goodness gentleness, my goodness, we need more of that in our life, and then self-control. These are the kind of fruits that are produced by following the Spirit, being in lockstep with Him. And when we do that, they will naturally begin to be produced in our lives. So how do I know how I'm doing? Look at the fruit of your life. What does the fruit tell you? So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against things like that, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have chosen to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us continue to keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not get conceited and provoking and envying each other. I want to look at that for just a moment. Those last couple of verses we just looked at. It talks about crucifying our flesh and choosing to follow the Spirit. Now, some of us get in our minds, oh yeah, well, I chose to do that. Ten years ago, or at Easter, or some other time, I chose to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Savior of my life and my Lord. I have chosen to crucify the flesh and follow the Spirit. Awesome. Amen to that. But I'll remind you that Jesus never said, pray this prayer. Jesus said, follow me. That was the invitation he gave. And in the same way that 13 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long. 13 years ago, I stood before my family and my closest friends. And I said, for the rest of my life, I covenant to walk with you, Kathy. And I put a ring on my finger. And that day I became her husband. That was not the last time I had to decide to be her husband. I have had to decide to be her husband and live like her husband and act like her husband every single day, moment by moment, for the last 13 years. And I've not always done it perfectly. I've not always done it well. There have been times when I have been very selfish, times when I've been very short-sighted, times when I've questioned, God, did I make a mistake? Did you make a mistake? And then, he, and then shortly thereafter, he kind of helps me recognize just how grateful I should be for the woman he's entrusted to me, a woman I'm getting, I'm, I'm derailing here. Suffice it to say, in the same way that 13 years ago I made a decision, then I've had to make the same decision every single day, moment by moment since then. It is important for us to make a decision initially. I'm choosing to follow Jesus Christ with my life. It is equally important for us to choose day by day, moment by moment, to follow the Spirit's lead and to allow Jesus to actually be our Lord. So we have a choice. Not just every day, but moment by moment. When you're leaving here and you're in a rush because you've got to get to the next thing and somebody cuts you off on the freeway, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond with anger? Kind of show them one of your fingers? Or are you going to give them grace? Flesh, 
Spirit. As your life begins to spin out of control and you're feeling overwhelmed, do you find yourself getting anxious and getting angry, reacting at people and saying things that are hurtful? Or do you find yourself at peace in the midst of the whirlwind? Flesh, spirit. When, when somebody attractive walks by and you're, 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 you're tempted to take that second look and, ha- and harbor thoughts in your mind, do you give in to that temptation? Or do you resist it, take it captive? Out of respect, not only to that person, but to the, their creator and perhaps to your spouse. Flesh, spirit. When somebody that you love, somebody you work with has let you down, and you want to tear their head off and talk behind, about them behind their back and harbor frustration about them. Do you give in to that? Or do you give them grace, recognizing that the person is way more important than the inconvenience? Every day, moment by moment, we have a choice. Who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow in the footsteps of the flesh? Am I going to walk after it? Or am I going to walk after the Spirit? I'll tell you this. The first step is always the hardest one because it's a big decision. The next step's a little easier because we're already kind of getting into a habit. And then after that, it becomes so easy, it becomes automatic. And eventually, we stop thinking about it. But the way we choose to walk makes all the difference in the world. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to, we're going to respond with one song um, before we, we transition. But here's the point. Choose this day who you're going to follow. Choose whether you want to follow the flesh or follow the Spirit. However, and this is where I'm going to pray for us, because if we want to follow the Spirit, we can't just try to do better. I am not going to stand up here and begin to preach moralism. Just try harder. That's what the Pharisees did, and it doesn't work. Suddenly we find ourselves right back into legalism. The only way we will ever be able to follow the Spirit is if the Spirit enables us. And if when we are willing, when we fall flat on our face and mess up, and we realize we've taken about 12 steps following the flesh, if we are willing to recognize and humbly say, God, I submit myself again. Great, he is gracious, he is good, he is grace-filled, thankfully. But choose this day who you will follow. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be men and women who are shaped by our commitment to you and our submission to your lead. I ask that you would give us the strength, not only as individuals, but as a body of believers who represent you not just here, but when we leave here today. Would you help us to be your representatives? Holy Spirit, would you guide our steps, give us the ability to hear your voice, have your way with us. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray these things and it is for your glory that we live our lives. Help yourself to our lives, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.